going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Teeth. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you so much as well to Holly for recommending today's case. It is a holiday case since it is the holiday season. And speaking of, if anybody is looking for a gift of sorts for a fellow Going West listener, we did come out with some new merch recently. If you go to our website, goingwestpod.com, hit the shop tab and there's all this new stuff. But I am thinking about even adding some more stuff this weekend. So stay tuned for that. And I'm still sick, so I feel like I'm operating at like 50% volume today. So sorry that you guys have to put up with this voice again. I'm going to do my best. Yes. Also, if you're looking for more episodes of Going West, head on over to our Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Going West, and you can find a bunch of ad-free full-length episodes there. All right, guys, let's get into today's episode. This is episode 260 of Going West, so let's get into it. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. In December of 2011, a 911 dispatcher went missing in Arkansas after leaving a Christmas party. When her body was found in a secluded area days later, suspicions immediately fell on someone in her inner circle. This is the story of Donna Natsky. Donna Smith was born on November 17, 1965 in Hammond, Indiana, about 25 miles or 40 kilometers south of Chicago. Her family consisted of parents Doris and Homer and three sisters named Debbie, Vicki, and Kathy. Doris held various positions over the years, including working as a bank teller, a realtor, a secretary for a private investigator's office, which sounds really fun, and a seasonal decorator at Christmas time. Homer served in the Army before working as a superintendent for an engineering company, and after Homer retired, he and Doris opened a ceramic store right there in Hammond that they kept in business for 22 years, which also sounds very fun. Friends and family describe Donna as fun-loving and gregarious and remember her super infectious laugh. Every post on the Memorial Facebook page just talked about how kind she was and her obituary says she, quote, never met a stranger. The life of the party, she loved to go out dancing, liked to sing, and had a large circle of friends. 
Her son later said, quote, I don't think she had an enemy or a person that didn't like her. Donna graduated from Lake Central High School in St. John, Indiana in 1984. And shortly after her high school graduation, Donna married Ronald Moeller. And in July of 1986, the two welcomed a baby boy named Ronald Jr. The marriage ultimately did not work out and Donna soon found herself single again, but she wouldn't be for long. A few years later in 1989, Donna's parents, Doris and Homer, relocated to Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, which is a small community located about 50 miles or 80 kilometers west of the capital city of Little Rock. Aptly named, the lush and very picturesque area is dotted with hot springs, encompassed in Hot Springs National Park, and is also near the Washita River and the Washita National Forest. I mean, who would have thought that there would be hot springs in Hot Springs Village? Yeah, what a shock. So an entirely gated town of about 13,000 residents, it's become popular as a resort and retirement destination, boasting a dozen lakes, hiking trails, golf courses, and year-round outdoor sports. I mean, that honestly sounds like a really nice place to retire. They've got all these activities to do. So in 1992, while living in Merrillville, Indiana, about a half hour away from Hammond, where she grew up, Donna married a man named Todd Natsky, and the two, along with her young son, Ronald Jr., or Ronnie, moved down to join her parents in Hot Springs Village. Together, Todd and Donna had Aaron and Brandon, making them a family of five. Donna worked sporadically while raising her three boys, including as a waitress and a receptionist at an area doctor's office. Doris remembers the impact her daughter had on the community, saying, quote, we would go shopping or go out to dinner or something, and she was always charging across the room, hugging someone and asking, how's your arm or how are you? Or did your husband ever get his new car? Everyone remembered her. Donna eventually settled into a career at a police department and became an emergency dispatcher, a job that she reportedly loved and was naturally gifted at, given her warm and caring nature. For the small, safe southern town, serious crime was pretty rare. Sadly, in 2009, the Smith family lost their patriarch, Donna's father, Homer. He was remembered as, quote, an honest man with a big heart and a pillar of his community. He was very active in his local church, even organizing his own volunteer program called Homer's Homework. He and Doris were married for over 50 years. Donna, especially close with her parents, had actually extended her own father's life after donating a kidney. That's amazing. Yeah, really, really kind and generous. Well, and actually when she donated it, she had to have part of her ribs cut out, but this gave her dad another 10 years of life. So in 2011, Donna experienced another setback in her personal life when after almost 20 years of marriage, her husband totally blindsided her by asking for a divorce. The couple separated in January with the goal of getting back together, actually. But in April of that year, so a few months later, Todd officially filed a petition for divorce. With that, Todd moved out and Donna's son, Ronnie, now in his 20s, had left too, leaving Donna and her sons, Aaron and Brandon, alone in their townhouse on the west side of Hot Springs Village. She really struggled with the transition back into singlehoods. Like she was just feeling very lonely and her mom went so far as to say that she was getting depressed. 
To cheer her up, they made a weekly ritual of going to a local bar called Patsy's Bar to drink and watch football together on Thursday evenings. It was there that Donna met Kevin Duck, another local who frequented the bar for football games. Now, they met in May of 2011, so just a month after her husband had totally shocked her by uh, filing for divorce. So obviously feeling very vulnerable, Donna relished the attention and the excitement of someone new. Donna's friend and neighbor Cheryl remembers, quote, You know what attracted her to him? He made her laugh for the first time in years. She deserved it. Her friends were really happy for her at first because Donna loved the companionship and the courtship was a very good distraction from a difficult divorce and a demanding job. And I know a lot of you guys out there know about that job because I know we have a lot of 911 dispatcher listeners actually because remember last year we did the Ruth Price episode and if you haven't listened to that you have to because our listeners solved that case and then we did a part two I always just am blown away when I think about that case and and uh, everybody's participation but I remember we got a ton of emails from people saying that they were 911 dispatchers so for everybody out there who is one you know how rough that job is and that's exactly what Donna was doing Although Kevin was almost 20 years younger than Donna, he was 27 at the time and she was 45, it seemed like a pretty good fit. His youthful exuberance was fun for Donna and a breath of fresh air while navigating a contentious divorce. He was working as a mechanic at a Shell gas station, living in Jesseville, about 15 minutes from Hot Springs Village, and was also divorced with children. He even bought her a car, a 1997 Teal Ford Escort station wagon. It was an older model, but he had utilized his mechanical prowess and fixed it up for her so it ran like new. And he also tended to her son's cars. Doris remembers him being a doting partner in the beginning, saying, quote, He was really good to me, and good to Donna. If we were sitting beside Donna, he was rubbing her on the hand. His attention was always with her. But this quickly turned from an admirable trait to a red flag. Her children had concerns immediately, partially because of the age difference and also because Donna made way more money than Kevin. Her oldest son, Ronnie, remembers, quote, We just kind of went with it because we were trying to make our mom happy. The behavior that presented as doting and protective in the beginning quickly turned to possessiveness and jealousy. Donna even started asking her mom to come on dates with them which Doris found very concerning, as if Donna didn't feel safe by herself. And I gotta say, that seems like a huge red flag. If you have to bring somebody else on your date with the person that you are dating, uh, yeah, probably not the best situation. Oh yeah, and we see this in a lot of different cases too, how at first the person can seem really great. It's almost like that's their manipulative behavior of trying to reel you in with all the goodness before showing you the real side of them, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. So Doris remembered his behavior becoming increasingly more concerning, saying, quote, He always had his hand on her leg, rubbing her back, snapping her bra, very inappropriate. Donna's friend Cheryl, who lived in the same cul-de-sac of townhomes that Donna and her sons, remembers her husband Jim, who also worked with her at the police station, being extremely concerned about Donna's relationship with Kevin. Now, Cheryl remembers, quote, Donna told Jim that Kevin was always touching her. He always had to be touching her. Jim told her, There's something wrong with somebody who always has to be touching you. There's something wrong with that. 
Donna, rightfully so, began to have concerns about the nature of their relationship. And Doris, her mom, remembers her impression of Kevin souring around this time and that she was looking for a way out. There were also rumors circulating the community, although unsubstantiated, that she had begun dating the former Hot Springs Village Chief of Police, David Flory. The mere rumor of this sent Kevin into a tailspin. So around December 10th, 2011, about a month after her 46th birthday, Kevin moved himself into Donna and her son's home without consulting her. And remember, at this point, I mean, they had met eight-ish months ago. So, I mean, they've been dating for a decent amount of time, but like to just move in without saying anything, like not okay. And Doris, Donna's mom, again, I, I feel like I have to keep saying that because they both have D names, but Doris said, quote, she came home from work and he was moved in. So like while she was gone, he just came in and put all his stuff in there. And she recalled Donna being absolutely furious at the presumption and forcefulness with which he had made the decision for them a decision which would also affect her sons who still lived at home. And although she and Todd were living separately, Donna wasn't even divorced yet. Donna's family and friends just really hoped that she would kick him out and end their relationship once and for all, but she felt guilty that he had already given up his home to move in with her because she is such a nice woman that even in this moment, she is considering him before her. Now, Kevin was also on his best behavior, just trying to win back her favor. So for about a week, things seemed pleasant enough again, but her family knew better. Her son, Brandon, remembered thinking, quote, in the back of my head, I'm saying, you know, there's something not right. The whole situation just was off to me. On December 21st, 2011, the couple was planning on attending a Christmas party together the party of the Hot Springs Village Property Owners Association, so many in the community were expected to attend. But just the day before, Donna told one of her sisters that she was planning on having her coworker and friend's husband, Jim, help her figure out a way to kick Kevin out of her house. The night of the party came around and Doris received a call shortly before Donna and Kevin were planning on heading over, asking her to come with already not really a good sign. But Doris of course agreed, wanting to make sure that her daughter was comfortable. So around 6 p.m. on the evening of December 21st, the couple picked Doris up in the Ford Escort station wagon that Kevin had bought for Donna, and the three headed to the party. Now Doris sensed that something was wrong immediately, remembering the palpable tension in the car, saying, quote, there was something wrong with Donna. There was something wrong and she would not say a word. Kevin was fine. When the two arrived at the party, they kept their distance, but Doris remembered that neither of them seemed to be in a particularly festive mood. Around 10 p.m., Donna went outside to smoke a cigarette. When she came back to the party, she was crying. Now, assuming something had happened with Kevin, Doris rushed to her side, but Donna actually claimed that it was something that had to do with her soon-to-be ex-husband, Todd. Donna's best friend Patty, who was also in attendance, took her into the bathroom to calm her down. And Doris remembers, quote, Patty Hathaway realized something was happening, so she went into the bathroom with Donna. She didn't know Kevin was outside of the bathroom listening. Patty was screaming for Donna to throw that SOB out, get rid of him. 
Doris thinks Kevin likely heard the entire exchange and was furious at both the women. Moments later, Donna was gone. Patty remembers seeing them leaving, saying, quote, It looked to me like he wanted to walk out the door, and she didn't. So creepy that he was listening, too, and just, uh, just knowing that he heard that, and then knowing what is coming up next. Just not good. So at about 10.30 p.m., Doris looked around the room, and her daughter was gone. But strangely, she had left her purse, glasses, and cigarettes behind, although there was no sign of her cell phone. Doris found it incredibly out of character for Donna to just abandon her at the party without saying goodbye and knowing that Donna and Kevin were Doris's ride home. Like, she wouldn't have just done that to her mom. Yeah, that's uh, really, I mean, obviously, that doesn't look very good. Right, so according to her, Donna never would have left her purse or her mother behind. But Doris went home with another partygoer, but felt just unnerved by the situation that she had just witnessed, knowing that Kevin had heard them saying bad things about him and that she was really upset anyway. And then no explanation as to why they left at all. Exactly. Just bad feelings all around. And the fact that Donna wasn't talking on the way there, like something's wrong. So at 2.21 a.m. on December 22nd, so a few hours later, Kevin called Doris. Now, Doris recalled later, quote, he said, Miss Doris, it was strange. He never called me Miss Doris. He called me mom, just like all Donna's friends. He said, Miss Doris, is Donna there? And I said, no, she's with you. She left me at the party with no way home. He hung up real quick there. Doris then remembers him calling again about four hours later, around 6.45 in the morning. He said, quote, I was sleeping on the couch and Donna left. I figured she was going back to the party to get you. Again, Kevin hurriedly hung up the call. Meanwhile, Donna's friend Cheryl had taken an early morning walk and noticed that the interior light of her car, still parked in the driveway, was on. Around that same time, which was about 5.45 a.m., Donna's son Brandon woke up at home, accustomed to just, you know, hearing his mom leaving for work at that time. But when he looked out the window, Donna's station wagon was still in the driveway. Now, later that morning, around 8 a.m., Patty texted Donna asking if everything was okay, concerned that it appeared that he had pushed her out the door at the party the night before. About two hours passed before she received a response, and it said, He didn't push me. I fell, and he caught me. I had taken a pain pill and was tore, but it had been spelled like T-O-U-R, up. So it sounded like she was tore up from this apparently this apparent fall that she had so but doesn't sound like this is donna that's texting patty so this was strange for multiple reasons patty claimed that the two usually preferred to talk on the phone over texting but her verbiage was also a clue donna was a smart woman who always texted with proper grammar and this text was riddled with mistakes and she would have known to use the correct wording of torn up, um, if that's even something that she would have said at all. Patty claimed that Donna would never have left without giving her a hug. The next time her car was seen, though it was not confirmed to be her actually driving the car, it was speeding through town. Witnesses noted the sighting because of how fast it was going. No one had seen or heard from Donna since the night before when she left the party abruptly. 
Her son said sadly, quote, I had concerns for my mom's safety the second I knew that she was with Kevin. As true crime listeners, you're aware of the dangers out there in the world. So why not keep your home as safe and secure as possible? Daphne and I do this by using Simply Safe. For award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. When we get ready for our summer trips this year, I will feel so much better about leaving the house knowing that Simply Safe has our back, just freeing me from my constant anxieties. And also something I love is that their system blankets your entire home in protection from break-ins to fires to floods. And with indoor and outdoor cameras to choose from, you will feel safe any time of day or night. And Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring agents to help stop crimes in real time. Which is part of why they were named the best home security system of 2024. Simply Safe has given us and so many listeners real peace of mind, and we want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash going west. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Sometimes Daphne and I are doing research for Going West, and we subscribe to different newspapers from all around the country, and then we forget to unsubscribe. But that's exactly why we love Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You'll be able to see all of your subscriptions in one place, and if you see something you don't like, Rocket Money can help you cancel it in just a few taps. It is seriously that easy. And that's why Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash going west. That's rocketmoney.com slash going west. Rocketmoney.com slash going west. Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face. But now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. We know you guys love a good mystery, especially one with twists and turns. Am I right? This is why you guys are going to love June's journey. 
Step into the role of June Parker while she tries to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder in the roaring 1920s. In this hidden object mystery game, put your detective skills to the test. While you're on this quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret, you can customize your very own luxurious estate island and let your imagination run wild. Daphne and I actually love to play this game together because you can chat with and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. It is truly so much fun. You guys are going to love it. So what do you think? Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. So like Heath said before that quick break, nobody had heard from or seen Donna since that party on the night of December 21st, 2011. And none of Donna's friends or family had heard from her the next day at all. Kevin, at home in the morning as usual, claimed that Donna had dropped him off at their house, or let's say Donna's house that he was living in, after leaving the party and headed back to pick up her mother which we know never happened. So he claims that he had gotten home at around 10.30 or 11 o'clock p.m. and gone to bed. But her sons knew that this was a lie because they had been home and awake until midnight and had not seen or heard from either Kevin or their mom, which means at least until midnight, they were not home, which means where were they for those few hours after leaving the party? Kevin then said that he woke up to find her missing, and then he went to work that morning, as he always did, but he was running late. Running late, very interesting, huh? So he was due at the Shell gas station at 8.30 a.m., and according to his manager, he didn't make it until 10.10 a.m. Donna's sons contacted her friends, her employer, and just anybody else that they could think of, just trying to put together the pieces of the previous night at the Christmas party but no one had anything else to offer after she had left with Kevin Duck. Now, a little background on Kevin. Kevin and his siblings, a younger brother named John and a younger sister, were raised in a devoutly religious family. Their father, Luther, was even a preacher at the local church, and the family lived in a small rural community in the woods that prided themselves in living off the land. The brothers and their father regularly hunted together and raised their own food, but Kevin's younger brother John remembers that Kevin always seemed on the verge of snapping and that he was manipulative and quick to anger. Yeah, I mean, we know he's a piece of shit. We know he's a liar. Um, and a manipulator. But he's also a leech. I mean, you know, he just latched on to Donna and was like, you know, I'm moving in. You're my property. Super jealous. He's a narcissist. He's a leech. He's just a bad dude. So as a child, John remembers there being an incident when Kevin was so angry at his siblings that he locked himself in the family's bathroom, threatening to kill himself. He brought a gun into the bathroom with him, and the family heard it discharge, so it went off. But once they were able to get into the bathroom, horrified, they found that he had shot the gun through the window 
and seemed thrilled that he had caused his family so much distress. That's pretty fucked up. Yeah, why would you be so happy about that? So Kevin also reportedly enjoyed torturing animals, which we know that's a sign of something. And incredibly fucked up. Yeah, so this was problematic for such a religious community. And the church attempted to intervene and help him to no avail. John later admitted sadly that he wished that he had taken John's life himself to spare Kevin's community the misery that he inflicted upon them. The Duck family, even Kevin's parents, kept their distance from him, knowing how volatile and evil he could be. I mean, if your entire family thinks this about you, like that, that says a lot. Yeah, it does. So in 2008, Kevin was arrested on charges of domestic violence and was actually still on probation for these charges when he started dating Donna. He had a long history of violence against women, with both an ex-wife and an ex-girlfriend pressing charges. He was also accused of beating his two-year-old daughter with a PVC pipe. Fuck. Horrible guy. So finally, after over 24 hours with no word from Donna, her sons headed to the very police station where she worked and reported their mother missing on December 23rd. And I gotta say, this guy's kind of a fucking idiot because he's literally, uh, you know, a, a suspect in the murder of a woman who works at a police station. Yeah, and and he has all this other stuff on his record. So it's like, you think you're just gonna like be able to do something and not get looked at right away? Yeah. Especially when her whole family and friends are suspicious of you anyway. Like, nice try. Yeah, exactly. They knew from the get-go. So because Donna was one of their own, law enforcement was relentless in their search for her. Knowing who she was dating, foul play was suspected immediately. Now, police launched an aggressive search of both the residential areas and the wooded trails and back roads, but found no sign of Donna. And remember, this guy grew up in the woods. He's a hunter, so he's probably very familiar with the land, obviously, because his family lived off the land. Yeah, absolutely. And also, we have to remember that, you know, uh, like I had mentioned, he didn't come into work until about 10, 10 in the morning. So he was a couple hours late to work and then by 10 30 p.m the night before so 12 hours earlier is when they left the party and when kevin claimed that around the time they had gotten home or that he had been dropped off but we know that that wasn't true because the sons were up till midnight and didn't see them during that hour and a half window so then it just makes you wonder you know we know he was up in the middle of the night at 2 30 texting or calling doris and then again at 6 45 so it's like he is doing something throughout all these hours. He had all this time to kill her and hide her body somewhere. You right. know what I mean? Like, like I highly doubt he woke up at 2.30 and was like, I think I need to, you know, text Doris now at 2.30 in the morning. Yeah, like he, he was up doing some shit. So anyway, again, the police, you know, had an aggressive search. And then a neighbor of Scott Randall's who had hosted the Christmas party the night Donna went missing came forward with a possible tip. The neighbor happened to be walking near Scott's house at the same time that Donna and Kevin were leaving and heard what she described as a man's voice um, uttering a single syllable over and over approximately five times. And she called the sound of it maniacal, anguishing, hysterical, and indistinguishable. She could not hear Donna at all, but seconds later, the car peeled out of the driveway of Scott Randall's house and sped down the dark street. On December 24th, 2011, Christmas Eve, 
the local Forest Service contacted Hot Springs Village Police, explaining that they found a car aflame in the woods about 8 miles or 12 kilometers outside of Blue Springs, Arkansas, which was just a three-minute drive down the road from Jesseville, where Kevin had been living before he forcibly moved in with Donna and her sons. The car had actually been found by a Forest Service employee at 11.15 a.m. on December 22nd, so a couple days earlier, the morning after Donna went missing. And it had still been on fire. This car was on fire for two full days. Forest Service waited for the fire to just die down before investigating it further and noticed that it had burned so hot that parts of the engine had melted. For unknown reasons, the car was not reported to police until two days later, again, Christmas Eve. It was quickly determined to be Donna's station wagon, reduced to ashes. Now, this particular phase of the investigation garnered criticism because while the scene of the car was investigated, the car was then towed away without being secured. And it had been exposed to the winter elements before sitting in evidence awaiting processing for four days. It was both worrisome and a relief that no human remains were found in the car. Donna may still be alive somewhere, but it also meant that it was likely that, as her friends and family already suspected, she had been met with foul play. Christmas passed and her loved ones grew more and more despondent. On New Year's Eve, January 31st of 2011, Patty organized a grassroots search of the community, expanding into the Jesseville area where Kevin had lived. Now, over 500 friends, family members, and locals turned up to the Jesseville High School gymnasium that day to help. In an interesting turn of events, Kevin Duck's father, Luther Duck, joined the search efforts, claiming that he thought he knew where Kevin would hide a body if he had been involved, which Kevin's family suspected was the case. He told law enforcement, quote, If he killed her, that's where she is. There was a pond in the Washita National Forest that the Duck family used to frequent as kids, and Luther directed them there. And sure enough, Donna's body was waiting for them. Just the fact that his dad was like, if he did this, I know where he would hide a body. Like, you know where your son would hide a body. That's yeah. He's like, my son is literally fucking Satan. Uh, he's literally the kid from the Omen. And he has been th since birth. Yeah, so I know exactly where to look. So creepy. So while relieved, obviously, that 10 days of pretty much hell had come to an end, Donna's friends and family were, of course, devastated by this news because you always hope that you'll find your loved one alive. And Doris remembers that Donna's co-workers at the police department were openly weeping with grief. She said, quote, In my heart, in my mind, I just knew it was Kevin. One of the officers described the scene as gruesome and brutal because she had been beaten and sustained life-threatening blunt force trauma to her head, but that's not what ultimately killed her. The medical examiner concluded that, based on the water in her lungs, she had been discarded in the pond after being beaten and she had actually drowned. 
She died within six hours of leaving that party. So by the time that he had called, you know, I'm sure this is no shock, but by the time that Kevin had called Doris after, I think it was like 2.22 p.m. or 2.22 a.m. or something like that. Yeah, she was probably already dead. She was already dead, yeah. So she was found naked and badly decomposed with her clothes strewn along the shore nearby. Because her body was so decayed, it was difficult to pull DNA. However, both Donna's DNA and the DNA of an unknown male were found on her bra that had been discarded along the waterfront. I wonder whose DNA that was. Well, surprisingly, Kevin did consent to submitting his DNA for profile matching. And even more surprisingly, he was not a match. So whose DNA was it? As always, theories began to circulate. Like, could someone else have helped Kevin Duck cover up her murder? Or could it have been someone else entirely and Kevin is telling the truth this whole time and just happens to also be a piece of shit but not a killer? Now, according to Kevin's defense attorney, quote, there's no doubt that whomever's DNA is on that brazier had something to do with this crime. There was also clothing that did not belong to either Kevin or Donna clinging to a barbed wire fence near where her body was recovered. Both Kevin and his attorneys claim that this points to involvement from a third party. And Kevin claims that he believes that it points to the former Hot Springs Village chief of police, David Flory, the man that he accused Donna of having an affair with. David, like fiercely denied claims regarding an affair as well as having something to do with her murder. And he also voluntarily submitted to a DNA test, but it was not a match. Kevin claimed that he and Donna were expecting a baby, but this was a claim that everyone in her life denied, especially given the fact that she had been smoking and drinking at the party on the night of her disappearance. Then there was Todd Natsky. Some pointed fingers at him, painting him as a jealous ex-husband. Especially because we know that at the party she was crying, apparently because of him. Right. And Doris and Todd had actually been embroiled in a financial dispute amidst the divorce in which lawyers had to get involved. But Todd had an airtight alibi. He had been with his new girlfriend and one of his and Donna's sons on the night of the party. With Donna's cell phone still missing, the court subpoenaed her cell phone records as well as Kevin Duck's and found that both of their phones had pinged within 200 yards of the pond on the evening that Donna disappeared. I mean, that's just it for me. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be it, right? I think, honestly, obviously, the honestly, obviously, the DNA found on her bra is really bizarre, and I don't know how to explain that, but the fact that Kevin had lied about when he got home, saying he got home around 10.30 and that he was dropped off, and he, you know, the son said that he wasn't, and then the fact that he was up all night, that he was late for work. And then calling Doris in the middle of the night. Yeah, it's just, uh, that's too suspicious of me to like look away from him. I think it does make more sense that he would have involved somebody else. This is just my personal opinion, though. Carry on. Right. So law enforcement actually issued a warrant for Kevin's arrest. By that time, Kevin had fled not only the area, but the state and was found in Burlington, Colorado, about a two and a half hour drive east of Denver. Suspicious. Yeah, and then he was extradited back to Arkansas on February 6th. He was unfortunately released shortly after on $15,000 bail in February of 2012, but was again taken into custody due to a pending domestic violence charge on April 3rd, 2012. 
This ensured that he remained in prison long enough to make the case against him for his likely involvement in the murder of Donna Natsky. After five long years of delays and setbacks, Kevin's trial finally began in 2017. Kevin's ex-wife Amber testified against him, telling a harrowing story about the time that Kevin dragged her down the stairs of their home while she was pregnant and had beaten her and left her for dead in the woods. After deliberating for just four hours, a jury came back with a guilty verdict and a recommendation that Kevin Duck be imprisoned for life without the possibility of parole. When asked if he had any final remarks, Kevin simply said, I think y'all made a mistake. Sadly, uh, Doris did pass away in September of this year, 2022, at 82 years old. She mourned her beloved daughter until her death, saying, quote, It wasn't right because she wasn't supposed to go first. I really miss her, always. Kevin attempted to appeal his conviction, of course, filing it less than two months after his verdict was returned, but the conviction was upheld. In a statement read at the trial by Donna's son, Brandon, that brought tears to the courtroom, he said, quote, Some days I can't even look in the mirror because I resemble her so much. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And on Tuesday, we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. This case was truly just so tragic. And the fact that she had even worked for a police station and was a 911 dispatcher just makes this so much more horrifying. I don't know why, but it just does in my opinion. But I also feel like there isn't, I mean, there's closure because obviously I feel like we all agree that Kevin is behind it, but it is still weird that there's this unknown male DNA on her bra. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could have been a third party, but at least we know that Kevin is where he's supposed to be right yes, now. absolutely. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, don't forget to check out our new merch. Head on over to our website, goingwestpod.com. Hit the shop tab, and we'll see you guys next week. All right, guys. So for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger.